This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 426. But if you just stick with it and keep following the process, it gets easier and easier. So year one, you might make 250 a month. Year two, you might buy three or four houses, and now you're at 1,000 a month. Year three, you got tired of waiting and buying just two or three at a time, and you might buy 10 at a time. And who knows, by year three, four, or five, you're going to be making ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a month just by snowballing that process. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. David Green, what's up, Mr. Uh, long Distance Real Estate himself? What's been going on with you? Mm, well, it's the end of the year, so I'm looking to buy a couple more properties that I have to do before uh, 2021 comes. So I'm kind of on the hunt, which is funny because I'm looking primarily in Tennessee, mostly because I believe a lot of Californians are going to leave California <laughs> and they're going to go to places like Tennessee as our property taxes and our income tax are set to increase. And today's guest was from Tennessee, lucky yeah. me. So we got to learn a little bit about that market. Yeah, today's guest is phenomenal. Today, like uh, our guest today is John Wooten. He is a biology teacher out of, uh, yeah, Chattanooga, Tennessee, has some high school there. And the guy is like legit in terms of like understanding real estate, buying stuff, overcoming fear, finding deals. I mean, if if there's like one thing you pull out of today's show, it's like listen to his strategy for finding off-market deals. It's It's so simple. Yet it's so powerful. And like, if you did nothing but implement that one thing and going into 2021, you will buy multiple deals next year. If you just did this, like this thing, you're going to love it. Uh, he bought a 10 unit, a really creative way. He bought a, his first, second deal was that strategy. He talks about all sorts of good stuff, like the uh, sunflower method today. We talk about that. We talk about the car accident method today. You're going to learn about what those two methods are <laughs> and uh, a whole lot more. So today's show is just phenomenal, full of great tips and ideas about getting started with real estate and building a portfolio of rental properties. And now, before we get to that, though, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. tip. All right, so today's quick tip is very simple. Uh, at Bigger Pockets, we are constantly, and by constantly, I mean like every month or two months or maybe three months, we are releasing new books. Like we have a publishing company, we release a lot of books. And sometimes we bring on the author here on the podcast, sometimes we don't. So go to biggerpockets.com slash store. It's been redesigned, it looks really pretty. And you can check out what books maybe you haven't gotten in your portfolio yet, your bookshelf portfolio that is, and you can pick them up and uh, add them to your collection because there's probably some books you're missing out on. You can also pre-order future books like David's upcoming book, sold, which if you are interested in being a real estate agent, you definitely want to, or being a better real estate agent or becoming one, you're going to want to pick that up. So get all that at biggerpockets.com slash store. All right. Thanks for that, Brandon. You're welcome, Mr. David Green. Well, today on the show, we actually talked a little bit about my future book, but it's way too early to pre-order. So you don't have to do that right now, but we talked about that. It comes out next summer, but passive income without the property headache, it's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. 
With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Take a second and imagine this. Immediate cash flow, above average rent, built-in equity, and a foolproof exit plan. No, it's not 2012 again. This is just what it's like to invest with Integra Development Group. They've simplified the real estate investing process so everyone can invest. With their new construction single-family rent-to-own homes, you'll get aggressively priced brand-new properties that have tenants in place now in one of the fastest-growing states in America, Florida. Here's how IDG's rent-to-own strategy works. You get exclusive access to inventory with aggressive pricing thanks to IDG's builder-partner relationships. Then, invest and collect immediate cash flow with tenants already in place at or very close to closing. With the demand for new builds, your tenants pay above market rent, so you rake in more cash flow. And you'll get built-in equity and appreciation with an already agreed-to purchase price at year three, helping the tenants become homeowners while you build wealth. That's investing simplified. So secure your next investment property today with Integra Development Group at IntegraDG.com. That's IntegraDG.com to start investing today. Yeah, man. Anything you want to add? No, John's got an awesome story. And just I want to highlight maybe so there is something I want to add. This is a biology teacher in a state where teachers probably don't get paid super great. So if John could do it, listen to what the guy's got to say, right? Are there there states where teachers get paid great? I'm sure they get paid a little better in California than they would in Tennessee. But yeah, yeah, teachers teachers in general don't get paid really well. So he didn't let that stop him at all from building up, what is it, 18 units over five years or something? Yeah. Yeah, and he's got like four, $400,000 in equity in those properties now just yep. on a teacher's salary. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, well, with that said, let's get to the interview with John Wooten. John Wooten, or Wu-Tang, as they say. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, so tell me about yourself. You are a biology teacher, is that right? My least favorite class in high school? Yeah, I'm a biology teacher. I teach physical science and a little bit of environmental science, too. I've been doing that for... Three years. So, right. you know why I didn't like Before. biology? Why? Because isn't that the class they made you cut, cut open a frog? Like, you had to, like I would too, stuff? yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had to cut something open and that just that, that weirded me out. So, you know what? It's okay. I still like you. I think you get, you're a good real estate investor. So, Thanks, it, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that today. Uh, let's go. Yeah. I'm Actually, trying to dig into cutting yeah. frogs in my classroom, but they're hard to get. Yeah. Are they? You really? Go, like, is there a shortage? Of, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's high demand in the frog industry right now for Yeah, well you ask everybody, you're like, Hey, where can I get some frogs to dissect? And everyone just stares at you. Yeah. Okay. There's some guy there's some guy listening right now in like Tennessee or Georgia and he's like, I can get you some frogs. He's gonna like send you a box of like <laughs> just like 
hundreds of dead frogs in a box just rotting. Like, this is Should not we make what we asked for? Yeah. <laughs> Should we make that what this show's about? Like how to find frogs in a in a rough yes. market? Like, yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. call it frog gigging. Like, yeah, you take a, and they'll stab frogs with a little fork, like a prong thing. Really? Anyway. Wow. All oh, right. that is a thing. It's horrible. My mom saw that when she was a little girl. They came home with all the frogs on a string, and to this day, she has a phobia about frogs. She can't see one without throwing really? up or even hearing the word frog. It definitely affects her this took so, a grim turn this, well i got i got Sorry. i'm gonna make it even more grim so <laughs> when right. i was a kid we had not more grim when we when i was a kid we had this like window in the basement right in order to have a window it was like, for an egress window in the basement of our house and so in order to do that you had to like drop like this like you know like c-shaped metal six foot hole basically on the side of your house right so that way you could climb out the window and then climb out of this hole and be safe right that's how they make it safe so this like culvert is that the word i'm looking for i don't know it's just like this hole in the ground next to your house that allows for a window in a basement anyway frogs would jump in there and i'm not talking about like a frog or two i'm talking about like hundreds of frogs and the only way to get them out is to drop the nine-year-old which was me into the <laughs> hole with the frog and there's just a clock it's like uh the snakes on indiana jones and they're like climbing over each other and just this mess of slime and i had to pull them all out so that was one of my jobs as that a kid. That explains why you hate frogs, just that's like my probably, mom. Yes, that's you probably two could why. bond over that. Yes. Uh, later on, we figured out you could put a uh, a lid on the little <laughs> hole, and then the frogs wouldn't jump in. But that took a long time because sometimes problems creep up on you slowly over time. You don't realize there's a problem that you could just easily fix it, uh, which is what we're talking about today about real estate because problems creep up slowly. Like that transition. So that was, <laughs> that was thank you. Let's get into your story and talk about the uh, the properties you buy, the real estate that you do. So biology teacher, Mr. Wooten, is that what they call you? Oh, uh, yeah. They call me Wooten. Some of my Hispanic kids say Mr. They say okay, Mr. Okay. All right. <laughs> I was going to call you Wooten. Uh, Mr. Okay. Wooten, tell us about yourself. How'd you get into real estate investing from being a biology teacher? So it started before biology, uh, before I taught biology. I was working at Starbucks, actually, way back ah. when I was... 17, 18 years old. And I would, I'd sit there and I would hear people talk about real estate. I'd have a lot of people come in and talk about real estate. So it started piquing my interest. And then I had a buddy, he went and bought two houses and I was like, well, how can I do this? I'm 18 years old. And he, first thing he said was build your credit. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't love that answer, but that's the next three years of my life, like three, four years, just build my credit. Because if you don't have credit, no one's going to lend to you. So that was the first thing I learned. So fast forward a few years, I discovered you guys on my way to my first real job. I was working at a bank, BB&T, as a teller. Mm. And on my way to work, it was about 30 minutes. I would listen to Bigger Pockets religiously. And I got to the point to where I was like, I, I know that this is an investment vehicle of some sort. I know people make money in it. So I'm just going to try to figure it out. And I probably listened to episode 50 up to episode 200. I contacted Devin McClish. He was on episode yeah, yeah. 170 something. I contacted, I think one of the guys you're working with in Maine or Maryland. Yeah. And I Maine, like tried, Ryan Murdoch, maybe. I don't know. Yep. He ran me through some, uh, some numbers too. I've talked to uh -huh. him and I just started calling all these people just picking their brain about, you know, how they got into it. So I was listening to all these podcasts and I was making maybe $12 an hour. And I, you know, just started listening to it and it got me interested. And then I would go back to Starbucks at night and I would sit down and watch your videos and I would work it out. And you say, all right, take 30 minutes, go find a deal and practice a deal every day. And yeah. I would practice on my computer, see if it made sense. And one thing led to another. And I started talking to people about actually getting deals. 
Yeah, let's go into the first deal then. I mean, first of all, did you decide you obviously you're in Chattanooga at this point? I mean, you're there now, but are you still were you there then? Yeah, all this started in Chattanooga. Okay, I love Chattanooga. But uh, so you decided to invest there. What was the first property like that you started practicing, started running the numbers? How'd you get the first deal? So a few things I started doing, I would go to the MLS and I would try to find deals. I would go walk around at houses, even though I knew I couldn't even buy them at that point, just to kind of dip my feet in. And my wife, my now wife, she was babysitting for somebody who had a few rental properties. And I had met with them before, just kind of asked them about it. But I went and talked to them a little bit later on. I said, are you still into rentals? He said, yeah, you're still looking for some. I said, absolutely. He said he has 10 units, a four unit and a six unit right beside of each other. And if I wanted to, we could work out a deal to where we'll owner finance them. It won't cost me that much out of my pocket. And that way it will let me get started and 10 units to start out scared. That scared me yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. So he said, go drive by them and see what you think. I go, I drive by them and they're rough. I mean, there's nothing like too pretty about them when I first get there. But I told, he showed me an eviction, what it looks like. I, we walked into one house and I mean, you could tell someone was mad. They had holes all up in the wall. There was furniture thrown everywhere. And he said, this is what it is. Sometimes if if someone gets evicted, they get mad. Sometimes they'll just leave it. And sometimes they'll clean it up and be cool about it. And I told him, I was like, I'm in. So I ran my numbers. And after everything, I was going to be making 800 a month, like plugging it in on the calculators. And I thought to myself, that'll do it. If I can take $800 a month, and somehow save that over the course of a year and start to snowball it. And that's what I would do. So that was my first deal. So we did a owner finance and I managed them for a year and a half. I would give him a check at the beginning of every month for how much he required, which he needed 7% of the number 7% on a 30 year loan is what we agreed to. And once we decided those numbers, I would just go and write him a check for that. I would go and pay the utilities. I pay their utilities. And the rest was my profit. Oh, the first five months, that was what he wanted from me. He wanted to see that I had skin in the game. So he just said, give me $1,000 a month for the first five months. I was like, okay. So every profit I had, I just gave it right back to him. Interesting. So you, so that was almost like your down payment was the first, the first, what, five months you said? Yeah, like, to him. Yeah, to him. Yeah, you just gave him the profit. That was like your down payment. So now you had something to lose. That's interesting. I I did something inter- like similar. My very first apartment I bought, I did seller financing, and I didn't have the money for it. So they mm-hmm. let me like lease option it, like master lease option, which is where I rented it from them. Basically, paid them the rent that they wanted. Yeah, the same thing. Like, and then I didn't actually buy it. So at this point, for you, did you own the property legally, or was it? It was still in their name. You were basically doing what I did. Like a, you're renting to own it almost. Exactly. So yeah. for a year and a half, I'm yeah. making payments to this dude. It was really nice because anytime I had a problem, I could call him because he doesn't want his properties to go under or fall yep. apart either in the event that I foreclose and stop paying him. Yep. So I'd say, Hey, I've got somebody won't open their door. They moved out. And he said, and I'm like, Hey, you don't have a key. We'll go kick it in. Okay. So I'll go. And kick <laughs> in the door. So I figured that out. And then, hey, I've got an eviction to do. Have you ever, like, what do I need to do? He said, meet me at court on Wednesday at nine. I was like, okay. So everything felt trial by fire. Anytime, but anytime I had an issue, I would call him. He was a really good mentor to have through this whole yeah. transition process. Yeah, this is, this is such, yeah. A neat, uh, such a neat topic because, I mean, one, it's, it's how shockingly similar it is to mine. Because I worked at a bank and my wife worked at Starbucks, actually. Uh, but 
So I went to the bank and then I bought this 24 unit from the same sort of situation. I bought it on that kind of lease option-y thing for a while until I had enough money saved up from the cash flow to be able to use that as my down payment, essentially. But more importantly, it was the mentorship of that person. Because here's what's so cool about the strategy. Now, some people listening to this might go, well, I, you know, why would somebody do that to you? Like, why would they work with you on that like that? Like, that sounds like a lot of work for them. It's because like, they don't, like you said, they don't want the property back. They don't want to just sell it to you, right? And then seller finance it. They want monthly passive income forever. So it's in their best interest to train you over time to be good at this so that they don't ever get the property back. I love that idea. And it's low risk for them. They don't have to go through a foreclosure if it didn't work out the first few months because you just hand the keys back to them and be like, well, it didn't work. And, you know, exactly. They say bye bye. Yep. So that's a, it's a cool It's very win. similar to how businesses work. When a business is sold from one person yeah. to the next and it's somewhat big, the new buyer makes some of the old people stay on for a period of time to help them yeah. get the thing off the ground. And it's a great strategy. It's why businesses use it. It works with real estate. Just Wait, David, uh, David, are you saying that real estate is like business? <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, how it weird sounds is that, that way. <laughs> <laughs> this is especially true with multifamily, right? Because multifamily is especially made for like a bit, and if people treated it that way more often, like treated real estate the way that you would, if you were to go buy a McDonald's, like that's basically what you're doing here. So you could go yep. and work at the McDonald's for a while as the, as the general manager to learn how to do a good job at it. And Wouldn't then they that the make sense? Yeah, that's they, exactly <laughs> right. Instead of, let me just buy a McDonald's, tell me everything that there is to know about running a McDonald's. Yeah. And I expect that I can walk in there on day one and do it super good. And if I can't, well, then real estate's a scam. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm Tyler I'm, or John, sorry. I'm sure you've heard that yourself. So, Oh yeah. One of the things that I've noticed is like, if I go and explain to my parent, like I told my parents, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I'm buying this 10 unit. I'm going to manage it for a year and a half. And they said, why are you doing that? Why would they sell you that? It sounds like that's what they said. It sounds like a scam. It doesn't yeah. like, why would you, and they're like, you're not going to own it. But I think what I've come to learn, and I guess this is, I used to think that nobody would ever tell somebody their secrets in real estate because you would just feed your competition. That's what I used to think. And now the more you get into it, there's so much property for everybody that they want to, in a weird way, give back, train you right. And you do have some people who don't, but. Yeah, by by and large, most people I've ever met, like especially older investors, they like, because their kids and their grandkids and their nephews and nieces, they don't care anything about real estate. So you show up, to one of those people and like you're interested in what they have they're doing and you're excited and you're passionate like they almost everyone i've ever known will want to pour into you so people complain i'm young i can't invest because you know like why would somebody take me seriously i'm young i'm 20 years old 22 25 that's your greatest asset go use that Perfect. like that's that's what you have like yeah so good, i would man. kill for somebody to come up to me he's like 22 23 and say hey yep. Can I manage your property? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I'll pay you. Like, what do you? Please. Yeah. Please. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think when when I started, uh, I had Kyle was like this. Uh, his name is Kyle, and he was like my mentor. But it wasn't like an official thing. It was just like we became friends, and I started managing, well, quote unquote, managing his properties. He didn't want to deal with the problems anymore, so I did all his maintenance, all his work for him. I'd turn over his units for him. I'd show units when he didn't want to show them, and like. I took all that work off his plate and he paid me, I hope he's not listening to this, but he paid me almost nothing. Like, but who cares? Right. Like, like, I mean, like looking back now, it took me actually way too long to, I got so much experience and it was, I had no risk, zero risk. Cause it was his property. So if I didn't get it rented I and mean, I did, I did a really good job. And so later, like he's helped me a ton now. He's like lent money and we've been good friends since then. But like, from both sides of that equation, it was mm-hmm. an awesome relationship. So, John, how did you find the guy? You might have mentioned that. I might have missed it. But how did you find that guy that you uh, bought that from? 
the 10 units. Yeah. yeah. He, um, so it was my wife. She was babysitting for this lawyer in town. And okay. I know and his lawyer and the guy who I bought it from are partners. Okay. So I had been talking to the lawyer. Anything the lawyer says to me, I jot it down. It's gold. And his partner owns an insurance company here in town. And his partner's the one who I mostly dealt with. The lawyer, you know, he kind of stays out of the real estate management side of things. But you know, it's so funny about that. I just said how how similar we were. I had the bank job. My mm. Ky, like Kyle, my guy, uh, his partner was a lawyer, and he was like my like lawyer guy. So like it was like exactly the same. I'm pretty sure like you and I just have identical stories. You just need a we longer do. We beard. Have the and same, we'll the same. We're on the same wavelength. And yes. then Devin McClish, his uh, that's what got him. That guy who was a yeah, lawyer, yeah. he managed some Home Depot. But yeah, lawyers, lawyers seem to get into it. Yeah. Crazy. Awesome, man. All right. So you bought the 12, the 10, the 10 units there managing Mm -hmm. yourself. What did you have? Like, what did you learn? I want to know from that experience. In other words, like as you're going into that, was it harder than you thought to manage all these tenants going from zero to, I mean, going from zero to 10 is pretty awesome. I'll say some might say crazy, but what was that like? What did you learn? What was easier than you thought? What was harder than you thought? Terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> it was absolutely terrifying because it's easy now when you look back at it, you go, Oh, you just get another tenant. Oh, you just do yep. this. Back then, if some if I had a tenant call me, you know, nine, ten o'clock at night and they say, Hey, my toilet's not working, this, that, and the third. Well, they just moved in two weeks ago, their toilet's doing this, they're gonna bail on me. I'm gonna have I'm gonna lose five hundred dollars this whole month. And it never you, you kind of yeah. think yourself into a storm. And the thing that I learned is that if there's a problem, there's a solution. And it's never as bad as you think it is. I've had water line breaks. I've had heaters go out. I've broken windows, doors, cops. I've had somebody die at my properties once. I didn't know that person, but there's always something that gets handled and it's never quite as crazy as whenever, you know, when your mind makes it. That's one of those clips I'm going to take and throw on my Instagram later of you saying that, because that's so good. Like I want everyone to listen to that. Like there are, yeah, there are problems. Like they do come up, but they're never as bad as you think. You talk yourself into this drama. You think it's going to be much worse. And, oh, you don't want to manage properties. Like, you know, uncle, this uncle John had properties and he lost everything. Like everyone's got like the story. And so you get scared going into real estate. It's terrifying. But then it, there's an answer to everything. I mean, every and single like, thing. I can relate this going back to biology. Your prefrontal cortex is going to allow you to see things in the future. We're just so good at it that we make it worse than it is. And the minute that you can just kind of shut that off and yeah, there's, there's a reason that you don't hear that many people going out of business with real estate and you hear a lot <laughs> of wealthy people who are in real estate. That's such a good so. point. Yeah. What do they say? 90% of businesses fail within the first five years. I've never heard that quote about real estate. I've never heard anybody say like, yeah, 90% of all people better. who buy rental properties lose their properties in the first five years. Like that, that's not a thing, you know? But it also, you rarely hear about someone that steps into it in the first year becomes a millionaire. Yep, true. You're correct. It, it's, yep. like, it's like an inverse relationship. So I think that's why a lot of people don't get into it because you're it's a get rich slow game. You're committing to the long term when you get into real estate investing. A lot of people don't like it. Another area where I've seen a lot of people that were really good at this start was they were a CPA or some form of accountant, and they were looking at their wealthy clients and seeing they all owned real estate. Yeah. That was another like light bulb moment, like your guys' lawyer thing. I'm sure so Brandon true. probably saw this when he was at the bank. You have some wealthy clients come in, uh-huh. and if you talk to them, you find out who owns businesses, yep. what kind of checks they're dropping off, and you find out real quick. Yep. Yeah, very much. Yeah, there were a few, I mean, a few people I knew were real estate investors, and they were like, they were doing well. The, interesting enough, actually, one of the, the people I was closest to 
at the bank, like the one, customers that I like, became friends with sort of, he had a golf yeah. business. He sold golf supplies online. And this is before I knew anything about internet marketing or about working online, like people made money online. And that blew my mind. I would say that is probably what got, got me to even start a blog originally, which led me to start this podcast with Josh back in the day. Is because like this guy, his biggest problem was he couldn't pay off his credit card fast enough like, cause he, he had like a $50,000 line on his credit card, but he would buy 50,000 worth of material. And then he would sell that right away, but he didn't, he couldn't do it fast enough. So his card kept getting maxed out. And I'm like, and he was coming in problem. like, yeah, it was like such a good problem to have. And so he had like three cards and like, I was as a, as the guy trying to help him as the banker at the bank, like trying to get him more cards and trying to get him a bigger line of credit. And I was like, I want those kind of problems. Like that's the kind of problem I like. My problem was like my tire and my car blew out on the way to work today. Like those are the problems that I'm, I'm saying like wealthy people have different types of problems. Right. Yep. And so I want the kind of problem that says I can't pay my credit card bill fast enough because like, you know, I'm making so much money and spending so much on supply that like, I, I, Oh, that was so cool. And I remember just thinking at the time, like how amazing that was. Now I never got into necessarily like the internet uh, e-commerce business, uh, mm -hmm. But just just entrepreneurship and business in general. Yeah, you learn a lot from those kind of people. It, it's a revelation in a very strange way. And like, could you find out you'll you'll talk to people and they say, hey, I make X amount of uh, X amount of dollars or whatever salary. And then you might talk to somebody who they've never had any bit of education or and you might, just, you know, you, you can tell by talking to somebody, but then yeah. they might own a multimillion dollar, yep. a multimillion dollar business. And that's how yeah. they did it. Yeah, one of actually things that always encourages me, and I don't want this to sound mean, but it probably will come out that way, is I know a lot of people in my life, even before I got into real estate, who, yes, were not that intelligent. I mean, like my friend Kyle, he's super smart. He's a pilot and was like wicked smart. But then there were other guys that I know, even today, like, that I'm just like, you're like a few, what, what's the quote? Like few crayons short of a Crayola box or whatever. Like, yeah, like, but they like own like $6 million of real estate. And it's always like just reassuring to me like, okay, like, you don't have to be the top 5% or the top 1% no. of intelligence to figure this stuff out. You just right. have to not give up on it in that period. Yeah, that's so good. So what you did not give up then, I'm assuming. So after the 10 no. unit, what, ha what happened? So before I even closed on the 10 unit, so we have this time frame of between, we'll say now and 18 months, probably around the 13, 14 month mark, I meet another guy. I'm working at FedEx at this point. And I'm managing the properties and I meet this other guy who I saw his phone or his phone number on a rental property outside of a house. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to talk to him and start putting another one in the pipeline as it were. And I ended up buying a house from him for 65,000 before I closed on the 10 unit. So mm -hmm. not three months later, I go and close on the 10 units after buying this little 65,000 and that $65,000 house doesn't make me but $80 a month right now. Sure. Uh, the guy's been in it for years. He, uh, he's actually my handyman, but I don't go up on his rent and I leave it there and it just does its thing. But that was my first official one. And then three so, months later, I closed on the 10. Okay. So tell me about this. You, you saw a for rent sign and you called it. Is that what you said? Oh yeah. So That's such a cool strategy. I had, if I see, uh, and I tell my friends this, cause I have friends in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. And they ask me like, what about, what about this? What about this? And all I keep telling them, I say, go make phone calls. Just tell them you want to pick their brain. Tell them you, you want to ask them how you can get started, this, that, and the third. And at the end of your conversation, just ask them, do you have anything, any problem properties that you want yep. to get rid of? Any headaches? And you might not find anybody, but I'd say probably three out of 10 times, you're going to find somebody who wants to sell something. And then 
they know the game. They know how much it's worth. They know yep. that you need to make your money on it. So they're not yep. ridiculous with it. But yeah, that's how I, I called him and I started asking him just like I'm talking to you now about real estate as much as I could get, like filter feeding as much. Yep. So, that's so yeah, good, I would man. call a phone number. Anytime I see a phone number, I would call it. That's such a good tip. Yeah. If people did nothing but that, just that one thing and made that their whole thing for the year, like you will buy property that way. Every landlord, pretty much every landlord I've ever known has properties that if, you know, if they were asked and pushed on it, they'd be like, yeah, I'd probably sell that one. I don't really like that one. Or I've already maximized my return on that one. Like have those conversations. In other words, I said this at the beginning of the show when I tied in a terrible analogy to this, but this is a much better analogy, right? Like there's frogs creeping in these holes in these, in these investors' lives. Like uh, this property is like just continually causes them a headache and they don't realize it, that their, that their hole is getting filled up with frogs until you're like, Hey, do you have any hole? Like, you know, you have any holes with frogs in it that I can go and jump in and clear out for you? And they're like, as a matter of fact, I do. And then they're like, you know, let's talk about it. And like you said, they're not going to be crazy as much as like, I feel like homeowners are almost sometimes more irritating to work with because they have these completely unrealistic expectations of what their house is worth. But oh yeah, I've knocked investor. on a few people's yeah. doors. I'll knock on their door and hey, uh, do you want to sell your house? Come on in, come on in. And we'll start talking about their house. It's a two or three bedroom. I'll do my numbers and I'll call them and give them my price. And I've yeah. had two people just, get mad at me on the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I mean, it has to make money. I'm sorry, lady. Like that's the way yeah. it is. But I don't know. You're yeah. right. Dealing with homeowners is, is different. Yeah. You're looking for the homeowner that's in pain, which is why you're calling yes. landlords. You're looking yeah. for the one that's like, I don't want to own this. This yeah. is very intriguing. What do we have to do? And when they're not in pain, that's the first sign I have. Just don't invest into it. That's a mistake a lot of newbies make with off-market deals is they take someone who loves their house, who cherishes it, who wants to show you the hue of paint that they chose because it fits the accent wall just right. And they're trying to convince that person to sell their house for half of what it's worth. And they get frustrated. They're like, why? How do I get them to sell me their house for cheap? And the answer is you don't. You just move on from that person. You go look for the one who doesn't want to own their house and is looking for you. And that's the one you put the time into. And that's where you really leverage. So is that something you found? Like, have you noticed in your strategy to acquire new properties that you found a niche where you can find people that are in pain? Oh, yeah. Especially that the type of owner who might have 50 to 150 units is usually the guy I'm trying to talk to. Mm. They always have a 40, 50, $60,000 house they want to get rid of. It's always within the same area. I mean, at least what I'm targeting for is in the same area. I will even ask if it's in, I have a house on Berry Street. And I'm asking, do you have anything near Berry Street? Because I'm trying to buy up this whole little section of part of my town and not have to also drive to go collect my rent all the time too. And yeah, what you're saying, if you meet somebody and they have all this invested time in their house and it's their baby, they're not going to let it go for what's reasonable. It's not happening. Yeah. I love what you said is you're looking for a bigger investor who's got a lot of properties, they're busy, and you're asking them basically like, hey, I see you got a classroom full of 40 students. Which one's causing you all the trouble? I'd love <laughs> to take them into my class you yeah. know, as a, as a school teacher. Because when they've got two properties... That little that problem house is still a cherished part of their portfolio. Yep. When they've yep. got fifty to one hundred fifty units, and this same address is popping up in their inbox, trust me, I know what that feeling is. I will sell it at a loss just to be done with the problem. But that's what you want is you want somebody's problem. So that is incredible advice. Everybody, please take that serious. When you meet that investor who's like, I've got 200 units, don't think, oh, I'll never be able to talk to them. The next question should be, are there any that you don't want anymore that I can take (laughs) off your hands? They will always say yes. Yeah. 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 That's a good tip. 
Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com bp. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Your competitors are fighting for your customer's attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it, because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. 
Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. All right, so what came next? Uh, you, you bought the you then you bought the house, the 65K so I got one. The, yeah, I got the 65K one, and then I bought two other houses from the same guy, not the lawyer friend. This is the guy who I called. I bought two houses at once from him. I think I paid 90 for total. 90 for those two houses. One rents for 575 and the other one rents for 650. So I bought those two. That was 15% down. Also, I know as I'm talking, just if, if you guys are listening, just make sure you find a bank that you're comfortable with because it's weird realizing this, but it, you think everything's so set in stone, everything's so paper. You have to do it, have to do it this way. And you find out that certain banks can work with you. I pay 15% and everybody told me I'll never get below 20. I had other banks that, and they'll go and talk to their loan officer and say, Hey, this Wooten guy's back again. Uh, what can we do? Because you like, let's say you want to buy a property and they have to approve that you can even pay for that loan. Well, now they might have a meeting the people at the bank and decide on if they want, if they can even bypass their rules to give you that loan. And if you have a good relationship with them, they'll work with you. So yeah, yeah, I bought those two and then, yeah, those are working. So what do you have now total? Tell us about your total portfolio. I have 18 units total and I've got 11 that I'm purchasing within the next nine months. So I'll have what? Well, how, how, what do you mean? You're under contract? Or are you doing the same kind of lease option thing? Or like, what are you doing for those? So these 11 units, they're under contract. And okay. there's this guy, He's a he almost looks like a biker. He's big, he's bald, he's tattoos everywhere, <laughs> nice as can be. But he owns, I think, three or 400 units out here. And I bought four units from him about five months ago. And he said, hey, I've got 11 more if you want them. And I was like, yeah. So I drive over, he told me the price. And they're... They need a little bit of work, but people, they're rented. It makes money all day. So I told him, I'll, I'll take it. He said, he, we wrote it on a piece of paper. I, John Wooten, buy this address. I will buy this address by September 1st, 2021 for no more than this amount. Here's a thousand dollars down. And that's the entire contract. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, so I take that to my bank and we start locking, locking everything in. And my goal here is to not use any money that I've saved. I use a little bit, but I'd rather start to use the equity from my previous properties that will help me pay for this 11 unit. It'll be the biggest one I've bought so far. So try not to dig too deep on my cash. That's an example Brandon and I often give where when you do well buying the first couple properties that grows and then those buy you the next wave or the next round. And then now you've got more cash flow coming in from that one that was bought for with the equity from the first ones. So now you can save faster to get the third, which is why real estate investing goes really well when you take time. Like yep. for sure, it, it's something you have to. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I do. The first two, the first year to three years, it's it's going to be slow. I mean, I know that I, in a weird way, was lucky, but just like what you guys say, everybody's lucky in their own right. And that first ten, I I was like, any money I take is going to go straight into the next property, and any money that I make from my other houses are going to go straight into the next property. And so, your first couple of years, you might make on a couple single families or, you know, a quad, you make 500 a month, maybe a thousand a month, maybe only 250 on your first house. But if you just stick with it and keep following the process, it gets easier and easier. So year one, you might make 250 a month. Year 
two, you might buy three or four houses. And now you're at a thousand a month with everything. Year three, you got tired of waiting and buying just two or three at a time. And you might buy 10 at a time. And who, who knows, by year three, four or five, you're going to be making ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a month just by snowballing that process. And yeah. to compound that, I found when you're buying single family houses, which is where the majority of people get their start, mm-hmm. they don't crush it with cash flow. And I'm going to ask you in a minute why you feel single family houses don't, like what expenses come up there, but they, they don't. However, they're much easier, in my opinion, to build equity with. You can get fixer uppers, you can make them nicer. Now they're worth more. So really the best strategy I've found for pushing your way into the market and building cash flow is to start with some fixer upper single families, use the Burr method to kind of keep the capital going and build your equity, then exchange that equity into something that will cash flow better. That's a hundred times better than just saving your money and going right after the cash flow because it takes so long to buy those bigger properties. Is that similar to what you found? I saw you smile. Oh yeah, because have you? There's a game called Plants vs Zombies. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> yes, heard I. Of <laughs> so the whole point of the game, you want to get as many sunflowers as you can, so that you can start generating. Because the sun, the sun points basically give you more weapon replants. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going off on a tangent. No, trust me. There's <laughs> a lot of first responders out there working 3 a.m. shifts that are very familiar. They're yeah. they're vibing <laughs> with your example. <laughs> well, like my whole thing is. I'm just going to play life like a video game. And if I can keep saving up my sunflowers, I can go eventually buy the 11 unit that's going to make me 3000 whatever dollars a month. But I couldn't do that in the beginning because, I mean, it just, it sucks. You have to just take it slow in the beginning. But then you realize that time that you went into it is not that bad. Do Do you really want to learn how to solve 30 units worth of problems in a year? I don't think you do. Because... It's a lot. That's a great point. Yeah. That's such, you have a great perspective on this, John. I love it. And I love the sunflower method. Sum that up for us again, for everyone that heard that so they can walk away seeing how you look at it. So the sunflower method is what we'll call it. (laughs) it. Yeah, you're going to write a book called the sunflower method. You heard it here first, folks. The sunflower method, plants versus zombies. Imagine zombies are coming into your, uh, no, I'm going to ruin it. Sunflower (laughs) method, just save up a bunch of sunflowers. So they're always producing for you. You always want to have something producing for you. The zombies in this example would be the things you're tempted to spend money on. That's not real estate. Yeah. That's coming to steal your wealth. Yeah, exactly. So I want a car and that's going to be $300 a month. That's the zombie coming up. Well, instead of just taking the $300 a month I got from a promotion, why not take that money, buy a house that makes me 300 a month for the rest of my life also pays down a loan, also allows me to dip into the equity of the home and then do the same things with it. That's exactly right. And let those weaponry plants that you said attack debt, which would be zombies to now they're making money for you. So you're not just working. I think that's brilliant. So let's stay on this theme. When it comes to owning like usually smaller properties, what do you find are the zombies that will attack your profit with uh, real estate investing when you're kind of dealing with like the single family or two to four unit space? It's always the tiny things. It's it's a sink. It's it's a bathroom device, like it or a bathtub device. It's the what do you the spigot on the actual shower might go out, and those are things. If you don't grow up and see them all the time, those are the ones that'll surprise you because mm. you might go one month and spend a hundred dollars, just a little hundred dollars, on your plumber to come out there and for him to fix whatever's on the back of your commode, and then the next month comes. Uh, tenant says, Hey, I've got an issue. My, my sink's leaking. You spend another hundred dollars. So then you either start deciding, okay, what's worth my time. Do I need to go out there and learn how to fix a sink? Or do I need to go out there and learn how to fix a toilet? I'm going to go fix the sink. 
and then have somebody else do that. But it's always eating into, uh, it's always there. You almost have to plan for it, but there's always going to be a problem that's within the properties themselves. So when it comes to that spigot in your, in your uh, experience, what would you say those spigots typically cost for just the part? Oh, just something like that. I, I yeah. mean, that just the part you're looking at fifty to sixty dollars on a cheap one. Just getting that piece out there. And then when you got to call a plumber out there to go install it, now what's your total bill usually going to be? If you don't know him, you're looking at two hundred. If you do know him, he might be out there and charge you fifty bucks. So you're so, hundred to two hundred fifty. Well, if the part's fifty plus the two fifty, you got to pay for the plumber. Now you're at three hundred dollars for a fifty dollar part. And there goes so, your entire month. That's exactly yep. right. And tenants never think of it when they call in to complain about something. What they see is. I'm paying 900 bucks a month. He can afford 50 bucks for this part. They don't yeah. realize out of that 900, only 100 of it was cash flow. You just spent 250 on that part. You just lost three months of cash flow from that one unit because of that one call. So yeah, and that's the part that might that might bother somebody who's new. Like let's say you go to buy your first property, four months in, you're like, hey, I finally saved a little bit of money. Something like that happens. Well, now you get, start to get in that mentality of, oh no, might give up. Maybe this isn't worth it. But in reality, once you have five or six units, those start to offset if you mm -hmm. offset each other. Yeah. But I want to make sure nobody gives up just from no, no, no. But you know. there is a way that you've what I what I was getting at is it's usually the labor that costs more than the part. Oh yeah. When we just look at the bill, three hundred bucks to fix that thing. But there's a way that I mean, you really can't get the part a lot cheaper. Maybe if you design some way to import it directly from China, you can save yourself nine dollars or something. <laughs> but you can go after the labor. And I wanted to hear from your experience running a tight ship like you do. What are some strategies you put together so that you don't have to call a licensed plumber every single time and spend three hundred dollars for that spigot? So some of the thing what I first started doing is I tried to if I can, I'm going to learn how to fix it. One because it's a it's a it's a game. You have to want to some reason to solve a problem if you don't but anyway i want to first can i fix it and then two if i can't can i get somebody who does it regularly for me at a better price like getting a, a good handyman or along those lines but i've i still replace my windows i will go out i'll find the things that someone might cost or might charge me a lot of money to do for a door jam like I've said i've kicked in a few doors and i know it cost me 130 dollars for my guy part and him to go out and fix that door. I know I can go to Lowe's right now and get the whole thing done for 25 bucks. Yeah. I'll go pick it up. I'll tear it out with my hammer. I'll tap it in. Now, obviously there are some problems that I don't want to tackle because they start to get too complex or they start to get a different level of skill. So that's where you want to have a good handyman who you've developed a relationship with. Maybe you've talked to a few different people. You've looked online, you've tested a few out. I've had a lot of bad handymen too. Mm. Okay. What are some advice that you have for listeners for what you can do to find the right handyman? Oh, Facebook's great. Asking around is great. It, honestly, going into Lowe's, I will find people all the time. Like this happened with my outlets. I was going to pick up about 15 outlets the other day for one of the units. I wanted to replace all of this unit. And I saw one guy, he had some electrical boots on and he was sitting there looking at some of the outlets. And I said, Hey, are you an electrician? He said, yeah, I am. And I started talking to him. I got his phone number and then he ended up, I talked to him and we made a deal. He went out and replaced all the uh, outlets for me for $100 for the entire uh, unit. So just always asking around, always trying to hmm. find that relationship. So you're sort of lead generating for handyman, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, which is brilliant because that's your biggest yeah. expense when you're owning these properties. It that's really what is. crushes you. That Brandon, what have you found? You've got a, a similar 
size portfolio of smaller units or a large portfolio of similar type properties. When it comes to this whole question of like, how much does it really cost to manage them? What's been your experience? Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> this is the, this is my problem with a lot of turnkey companies. Like there are some good turnkey companies out there, but the biggest problem I have with like the companies that are, and for those who don't know what turnkey is, they're companies that will sell you a completely fixed up property with a tenant in place. They'll manage it for you. And they claim you're going to make all this money from owning this rental. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're, again, there are good companies out there. I don't want to say there's not, but a lot of the companies I've looked at their numbers. They're like, oh yeah, we already fixed the property. You won't have any repairs. And I'm like, oh, yes, you will. And like, you're not going to have to replace anything for like for 10 years. I'm like, no, no, you will. You have to always be replacing things. You're always fixing things. You're always. So a, a couple points on this one. I got a new book coming out next year. It's on multifamily. I wrote it with Brian Murray. And we talk about a lot in this book. There's a thing called like fake cash flow. And then there's pure cash flow. Just like there's like gold and then pure gold. Purified gold has gone through the fire. It's gone through a tremendous amount of like fire to release all the impurities. And what you're left with is purified gold. The same thing is true with pure cash flow is like, this is your actual cash flow. Like, like not your lying cash flow, not your fake cash flow, not your optimistic cash flow of what we all think. It's like, this has gone through the fire. So my encouragement to people is when they're running their numbers, don't do what some turnkey providers do and just be like, oh yeah, you won't, we, you'll never have repairs. You, you want to fix things ever. Like I assume, and again, this completely depends on the age of the property, the condition of the property, the area you live in. But I typically assume between five and 10% of whatever money I collect is going to go out in repairs. And another five or 10%, I'm going to set aside for future replacements, which is what we call CapEx. So if it's an older house, I might set aside a total of 20% every month just from just for those two things, repairs and CapEx. And if it's a newer house, I might go more like 10% total, but don't kid yourself, anybody, and think that you're going to get away with not having repairs ever. You might get lucky. I have a property, a five unit, that I think I've had three calls on in the last seven years. The house was built, or this fiveplex was built in 1870 or something like that. Everything about that property says it should have a lot of problems. It just doesn't. I don't know why. It's just been well taken care of over the years. But I have like a new house built in the 70s that I have a problem every single month. There's something breaking on it. So you, you mm-hmm. just never know. But if it's across your portfolio, I just know that I'm going to lose between... 10 and 20% to repairs and CapEx. Oh, 100%. And then you can, even on, when I look at my Excel spreadsheet and I'm plugging things in, I don't even collect, if I'm at 100% occupancy, I still don't collect 100% of that money. Yeah. Um, You might catch somebody who's missing 20 bucks one month. And yep. are you going to kick somebody out over 20 bucks? It keeps happening. You you have to discipline, but you don't want to kill, you don't want to kick somebody out over $20. And then what you're saying, and it goes back to, the videos you used to put on YouTube, how to analyze a deal. Yeah. You do have to factor that in because one house I bought, I had a roof my first year. The roof had to be replaced, cost me 10,000. Yep. Like that. And it, you do want to have that implemented in, or you're not, if, a, if your rent's three, or if you're making $700 a month, or if you're charging 700 a month, and let's say your total expenses are 400, your total expenses are more like 500. Like, just go ahead and assume that yep. there's something you can't see that's going to happen. Yeah. And even if you go, you might go six months without anything, and then you get hit with something big that's six months worth. And so it all averages That's what out. I was going to say. It all comes in waves. I didn't have yeah. an eviction mm-hmm. for a year. The past year, didn't have an yep. eviction. Now nowhere. Had three. Yeah. And sh- yeah, it happens. And so if you don't assume for those things, if, you, if you're not calculating pure cash flow, if you're trying to do fake cash flow, which is like mortgage, you know, rent minus mortgage, mm-hmm. uh, it just, it's not going to work out. You got to get it through the fire. It's actually one of the reasons why I chose uh, mobile home parks. Not that they're the end all be all. There's other asset classes too that avoid repairs, but all the mobile home parks that I buy, 
the tenant owns their own home. And the reason I went for it more than every, probably more than every other feature about mobile home parks, the reason I chose them is because tenants own their own home, which means I don't have that nitpicking uh, repair cost every single month. That just drove me nuts. And I was like, how do I avoid that? Well, like self-storage, mobile home parks, like land, those kind of avoid the repair stuff. Uh, and now there's other things that we have to fix and repair. And there's a lot of things I didn't expect. I'm not saying there are no expenses with mobile home parks. There's a ton of them. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's why I that's why I built whole open door capital. Like my whole fund is because I'm like, I just got tired of dealing with the nitpicking of little repairs. And now tenants I heard so own. many people switching into uh, self-storage. That, yeah, it's been yeah. incredible. Yeah, what, what breaks in self-storage? You don't have any, you don't no toilets. Like, Concrete and metal. <laughs> yep. Concrete and metal. It's an amazing thing. All right. So we, we talked about, you know, you, you got the handyman stuff. You're still doing some of the work yourself. Is mm-hmm. the plan eventually, like, do you, are you trying to like, are you desperately trying to get out of your job? You're like, I got to quit this teaching thing as soon as possible. So I got to build up my cash flow. I mean, could you leave? Or do you make like, could you leave it soon with the cash flow you're getting right now? Like, where are you at yeah. with that? And then what's your mentality behind quitting your job and financial freedom? So financial freedom, I hit financial freedom technically, I guess a year ago, like I could quit my job right now and be fine. But I, after going through COVID and everything, just sitting there for five months, I'm good. I don't ever want to retire. I think I like what I do. I like, I like having something that's not just real estate on the side. Now I still like doing real estate and and I've noticed if anything, I want to hire somebody to start managing my real estate so that I can specialize and just keep buying it. So if I can set up a system to where somebody manages my 18 units and then it manages my 29 units, I can keep buying 10, 11 units every couple of months or whatever, every couple of years, whatever it may be. And I can still do whatever job I like on the side. Like teaching for me is fun. I get along with people. Yeah. So I don't really have an exit strategy for teaching, but it also wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the end of the world if somebody walked up to me and was like, John, you're fired. Oh, okay. (laughs) See you. Have a good day. That's the way at FedEx. It got me, man. There was, there was one day I walked in and I had, I was used to doing about 60, 70 stops and I had to drive about 250 miles total for the day. And my boss told me that somebody called out and I was going to have to do a hundred plus stops, drive maybe 300, whatever miles it was. I had a rough day. And he said, uh, what are you going to do? Cause I just, I sat down. I was like, man, I'm going to quit. He said, what are you going to do? He didn't care if I quit. So I still needed to make a paycheck. And I decided right there, I was like, I'm, I'm not having anybody have their thumb on me ever again, because that moment of it feels like they got you, you know, your boss yeah, has you yeah. and that freedom of not having, like, I still respect my boss. I love my boss now, but as far as someone coming in trying to threaten me over a job, I nah, see ya. I don't have time for it. That point is so like resonates so strong in my soul. Cause when I talk about financial freedom, I'm not talking about sitting on a beach, like drinking margaritas all day. Like, even yeah. though I, yes, I live in Maui, but like, I, that's not what I mean. Like, cause I still want to work for the rest of my life. I love work and I love building, being creative. It's growth. Yeah, it's growth. We love that stuff, right? It's, I don't want anyone having their thumb on me saying I have to do this or else like like that, that trap kills mm-hmm. me. Like it just kills me. Yeah. So yeah, the freedom to be able to do stuff is more important than the freedom itself for me. Yeah, and it sounds like you. So that was the first step I noticed. I noticed that there was a freedom in that. And then what you're talking about, I, I can take my wife on dinners now a little bit more than I used to. I, my son has, I have a brand new son. He's five months old and oh, I pay congrats. for childcare with, thank you. I pay for childcare with rental property. And I mean, it's, it's a blessing for sure. So, but anyway, I won't. well, you said something that sort of illuminated this, like 
the, it brought a lot of clarity into my mind about entrepreneurship versus working for someone else. We, When you were saying, if I could find someone to manage my properties, I could go on to grow more. I realized that you were highlighting what every entrepreneur, which every business owner does, is they're constantly solving a new problem. That's all that business is. Here's a problem. Can you figure out how to solve it? Sometimes it's leverage. Sometimes it's a system. Sometimes it's knowledge. All the stuff Brandon and I are talking about are just tools we use to solve problems. That's what you sign up for when you become an entrepreneur. The opposite end of that is working for someone else driving their truck and you become the solution for someone else's problem. Hey, someone mm-hmm. called in sick. It's your problem. You're now doubling the work you're going to do. There's nothing you can do oh. about it because you're the solution for my problem. So what, what the people who want to get into real estate investing have to understand is that while you are getting away from someone telling you what to do, you are voluntarily walking into a lot of problems that you have to solve. And if you bring the mentality of, I want all the security that comes from having a job where I'm solving someone else's problem, and you also want all the freedom, you're going to be disappointed. You have to understand both sides have merits in their own way. And you have to pick the road that's best for what you want your life to look like. Brandon does not mind solving problems. He doesn't like a thumb on him. John, it sounds like you're the same way. That's why you guys have done really well. For the people that are listening that can't get going or they constantly say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And that's the reason to not start. That's just indicative of a mindset that comes from a W-2 job where you're not the person that has to solve the problem. You are someone else's solution. So like if, if what about this is stopping you, that's what you need to let go of. You have chosen to walk into a scenario where what about this is your job. And it is so hard. Like on the other end of that, it's so hard when you don't have rental property and you don't see the numbers and you just hear about people doing it and you're, you know, let's say you need to save up $10,000 to buy a house in your head. It seems hard. I was, I get it. I was there not a year or two ago. Like it seems impossible to just get to that barrier. But once you do, it's almost, I don't know. It's very clear feeling what happens is, and and you let go of fear. I think people, when they say that, what about this? What about that? I think that's the fear because I can go through my phone right now and show you the messages from, I keep bringing them up. Devin McClish. I was messaging him. I said, what about this? What about this? This is not going to work. Direct mail is not going to work. He says, it's working for me. Why is it not going to work for you? Can you not invest $2,500? Do you not have 25? I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay, invest it. And then I still wouldn't because I was afraid it didn't work. But I mean, that's what it really boils down to is you one, anybody who's out there who wants to jump in, you do have to, in a weird way, let go of that fear. And I know it's hard, but once you do, the results are incredible. Permitted it's done right. And I mean, you can listen to anything. Brandon and David have anything on YouTube. You can find any problem you have. You can find a solution to it. And it's not so scary. Yeah. I've told this story before, but I'll say it again real quick now is like, that's how I found bigger pockets originally is I had told my parents that I was not going to go to law school. I was going to go and buy rental properties instead and go be a real estate guy. And they were like, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing? Uh, they, and my dad, I remember my dad saying, well, what are you going to do if tenants don't pay rent? You won't be able to pay the mortgage. You'll end up like, you know, living under a bridge. Like, you know, you can't, you can't pay the whole bankrupt. mortgage yourself. You're a baker. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. I can't pay yeah. a $2,000 a month mortgage. I don't, I mean, my job, I'm making $9 an hour. What am I going to do? And like, but rather than allowing that fear to dictate my decision, instead I allowed that fear to guide me to asking the better question of what do I do if tenants, so I typed into Google, what to do if tenants don't pay rent. And I found an article on a little tiny forum at the time. It was just a forum called bigger pockets and you know weird name and didn't know what it was about and it, like the article was about like what to do and tenants don't pay rent and it was like i do this and then i send this and then i do this and i was like 
Whoa. Yeah, there's answers. Like there's there's things people do. And then I jumped into the bigger pockets forums <laughs> and started like realizing there was thousands of conversations about like, what do I do in this situation? So if people are listening right now going like, they have that fear. Well, what if this happens? What if this happens? I can almost guarantee you there are hundreds of threads in the bigger pockets forums that address that specific thing. You know, like I love when people are like, well, what are you going to do if you get more than 10 properties? You know, banks won't lend to you. I'm like, oh, come on. Everyone figures that out. Like, it's not even an issue, right? Or what are you going to do if the bank says no? What are you going to do if you don't have good credit? What are you going to do if you don't have enough down payment? Everything has an answer. Yep. And then another thing, just know in the back of your head, if somebody else is doing it, I mean, I'm doing it. Brandon's doing it. Dave is doing it. If somebody else can do it, surely you can do it. You just follow the process. You know, that was one of my favorite points in the book, The 10X Rule from Grant Cardone. I read that before we ever had Cardone on the podcast. Yeah, he was a cool guy. He had in the 10X Rule was so good because they made this point in that book. He said, when somebody is doing something incredible in their life, like amazing, the natural reaction is to get jealous, like to be jealous of them, them buying a bunch of real estate. They just closed on a big property. They just crossed the, you know, whatever threshold in their life. He's like, instead... Look at that as if, well, if they could do it, then I can do it. Like, it's not like any, they have more time in the day. They have the same 24 hours we all do. So if anybody's ever doing anything, it means that you can do that thing as well. Uh, and so we should be looking at other people's success as motivation and encouragement of our own life. And I, that's made a huge impact on me. I mean, now years later after reading that, it's still, I, I think about that all the time. And I bet you it changed your perspective too. Very much so. Very much. If you embrace that, what they did was they said, hey, there's going to be problems and I got to solve them. If we all take that same attitude, yes, we can do the same thing. I think that, John, you just made a really, really good point that you naturally, when you walked into this new, well, I got to figure out how to manage this property. I got a problem. Hey, can you help me do it? Yeah, I'll spend the first six months or five months or whatever it is teaching you how to run it. And then the down payment from the first five months will come from the work that came in from the rent. Problem solved. Like you, you 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 were brought into this world understanding there's a way to solve problems. And that's what I'm really doing. And when you approach real estate from that perspective, it doesn't feel that hard. And even gets fun too. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point too. Like if solving problems is fun for you, this might be a yeah, great thing to get into. Yeah. If not, maybe you like being a biology teacher and don't feel bad about that either. That's there's definitely a role for, for everybody. True. True. Cool, man. All right. This well, we're, great. yeah, this is awesome. I, I want to move the deal deep dive here in a second, but before we do, I'm curious, like, are there things that our audience can bring value to you? Uh, anything you're looking for right now? Anything that would help you out in your business? Nothing on my end. I've, I've, uh, I've got not much of a social media presence. I pretty much just kind of live, living my life, going to collect some money yeah, and get some more rental properties and try to teach students. Everything's good on my end. I guess if anybody's listening and you want to help me, just, uh, I don't know. Help yourself. Go out there. Listen to listen to some bigger pockets. Listen to Tony Robbins. Listen to get your mind right. I don't know. That's cool, Just man. make sure you go after your dreams. I know that sounds cool. cheesy, but you you get one life. Enjoy it. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Well, with that said, let's move over to the next segment of the show. It's our deal, deal, deep, deep dive. All right, this is the part of the show where we dive deep into one particular property you've bought to get the dirty details on it. So you got something in mind that we can dig into? I do. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to just throw a bunch of, we're going to throw a bunch of questions at you. Number one is, first of all, what kind of property is it and where is it located? So this is a single family and it is 200 yards away from my 10 units. This was when I was saying I was on Berry Street. Yep. Right in Chattanooga. All okay. Right. How did you find it? The uh, funny story how I found it. I was 
at Starbucks again. I guess I don't really do much. So I went out, <laughs> I was at Starbucks. I was hanging out with one of my buddies and I watched a Mercedes back in to another car, a really nice car backed into this you know, Honda Civic. And they grinded the entire side of it as they backed in. And I saw the guy who got out and I have heard of him. And I, you know, he's one, after you call so many people looking for phone numbers of people in real estate, you start to get familiar with names. And I've seen his face before and I've met his uncle, but he'd never met me. But when he came back out, like we saw his car, we, he asked who, whose car he hit. And I told him it was one of the workers inside. And he came back out and I was like, are you, uh, are you David? And he goes, yeah. And I said, if you have, I literally just, out of nowhere, I was like, do you have any properties you'd be willing to sell? I've heard your family's <laughs> names, this, that, and the third. I know it's weird coming out of left base. He said, yeah. He said, take down my phone number. There's a property. I've got a few of them. So I, he texted me and we found this one, this one we we're talking about. And I bought it for 60. And that, but that's how I found him. He, I watched him back into somebody's car at Starbucks and then, hey, sorry, you did that. Do you have any houses? So. That's really funny. <laughs> That's exactly what people do that are good at this though. <laughs> they don't you have, you have to be weird a little bit. They you would just embrace it. That's what you're doing is you're constantly asking that question of everyone you meet. That's an awesome story. Yeah. All right. So now we're gonna call that the car accident method. We've got the sunflower <laughs> method and the car accident method. The trick one, you have to plant the the car, the car that yeah. is slightly off so they can back it. <laughs> <laughs> just fill a parking lot up with dummy cars that are parked incorrectly. <laughs> make make your own way. Okay. How much was this deal? It's sixty thousand. Well, right. 62 after, after everything, but yeah, 62. Uh, how'd you negotiate that? So I have, I'm trying to think, I don't actually think I've negotiated someone on their price down at all. The entire time I've been buying houses, my home I'm in right now, I paid $5,000 more than what they were asking. The market was going crazy. The rental properties that I've bought from people, they always give me a good deal. And when I'm, I run my numbers, if it makes me my goal number, then I don't try to talk them down because I feel like one, they're already giving me a good deal Two, are they going to give me more deals in the future if I'm always trying to chip at them? So I bought it for 60, didn't really have to negotiate that one rents for seven fifty a month. Question side question for you. Approximately how much equity do you have in your whole portfolio right now? I looked at it and this was surprising. Last time I went to the bank and they did all the numbers and it shows your net worth on one of the papers. It mm -hmm. said 400,000. And I, I looked at, I looked at it and I was like, my goodness, I did not come from a lot, but whenever you're seeing 400,000 at 28, like if I sold all my property, mm -hmm. yeah. it was just a really good feeling. So awesome. point I want to make here is how to, how to have a $400,000 net worth, always paying over asking price for every property. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Cause you'll, oh yeah. Right. That's, That's how real estate you works. Okay. It. All right. How did you fund this deal? So that one I saved up 15%. So on a $60,000 house, I think it was 15% down is about nine ninety five hundred. Now you have closing costs that are associated with that, but I don't, I try to negotiate out of getting closing costs. So we made the price $2,000 higher and then had him pay for the closing cost. Cool. So that way he got his $60,000 and I got that house. Also, side note, I do this in my business all the time. At a 4% interest rate or so, you probably increased your expenses by $8 a month by borrowing another $2,000. But that $2,000 you saved, how many hours do you think that it takes you to do that? So uh, yeah. um, in general, when rates are this low, it is so much smarter to pay more for the house and get closing costs covered, keep the cash. You're going to get a much better return on that two grand than the 4% that you would have saved on the interest rate or the three and a half, whatever people are paying. So that's also very smart. 
Yeah. Also on a side note, I mean, good for people who pay off their college loans. But if you go through, if there's one thing I learned in college, it's always apply your money to the highest interest rate thing. And I'll watch people save up $50,000 and pay off or pay off $50,000 worth of debt on their college loans, which is incredible. Good for them. But those loans are at a four to five percent interest rate. Why wouldn't you take that forty to fifty thousand dollars, buy a house, make those payments on the college loans using the house, yep. and then you have an asset that you never mm-hmm. have to get rid of ever? Or so, house hack. They're spending twelve hundred dollars on rent. That yeah. is a much higher return if they could have got themselves a property and reduced that from twelve hundred to three hundred. That nine hundred dollars was way more than whatever their student loan was, and that fifty grand was the down payment on a house or two they could have done instead of. Yes, that's a great point. Yep. Just pay down that, that interest rate, the highest one. All right. Well, what did you do with the deal then? You ended up renting it out, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. So I actually, I bought that one. He had it rented out. The worst part about that one, and if anybody is listening, I, I had taken a few of those home inspector classes and I wanted to start my own business doing home inspection for a little bit, or at least do it on the side. So I had a rough idea. I was going through the house. Okay. Looking for the stepping cracks. Don't see any of those looking at the window seals, looking for water intrusion. Well, my dumb, dumb self didn't go up on top of the roof. I looked at the roof visually from the road. I was like, okay, it looks square. <laughs> so a couple months later, tenant texts me and they're like, hey, uh, my roof's leaking. So I send my guy out there and he climbs up on the roof and he shows me. First thing they do is they pull up what's on top of the, the roof to the porch. Just rot, just rotted. And I was like, oh my God. And we ended up costing out as a $10,000 roof on that house. So even though that was a, that house is a good deal, $750 a month, it, I think the mortgage to it's $350 ish a month. And then taxes and insurance brings that up another hundred. So that house makes three ish hundred a month. And that's now depending on which purification level we're looking at, but it still made money. So I'll take it. But then writing a $10,000 check was no fun either. So now that house, mm-hmm. any time that they give me rent, I'm like, just go back to paying that. Yep. That makes sense. And that's the thing we just talked about, about you got like those it little frogs are jumping. Houses. Yeah. It makes, <laughs> the frogs are filling the, uh, filling the window hole, but yes, they, uh, inspect. So what was the outcome? I mean, like, what was the, uh, like where, where are you at today? What kind of equity do you have? Where do you see yourself? I still have it. That house I could sell for, I don't know, $90,000 right now. Okay. It's great. Tenant's wonderful. She calls me the third of every month says I got seven fifty for you. Yeah, awesome. Cool. That's so funny. it's working and she does park too many cars in the yard. So we're working on that, but All right. nothing's perfect. Unless yeah. you get someone to run into those cars, in which case that can be more deals. <laughs> so got to kind of I like where your head's at. Way to bring that back, David. <laughs> All right. What lessons did you learn from this deal? So that one always, if when, if you think that you know how to inspect a house, make sure that, I mean, really go through and inspect it. You don't have to worry as much as you might think you have to, but still go up on the roof. Look at the big expenses. If you see, if you see double layered shingles, or if you go up and you see water up in the ceiling, definitely check that out. That's worth a, that's worth an ask from the buyer. Um, and don't be afraid to, to ask the buyer, a lot of people will get too aggressive. Let's say they found that house for 60,000. They say, Oh, let me get it for 50. You might start off a little too strong, but then on the other side of things, like you don't want to scare away your, your seller, but you also don't want to uh, buy a bad deal. So always, always, always do your due diligence. Make sure that the house isn't falling apart. Make sure the roof's good. Always go back to your fundamentals. Make sure the house makes money. That seven fifty on a $60,000 house makes money all day. Hmm. So make sure it hits your rules. Yeah. Do your math homework. 
and do it right for real and do it to where it's ingrained to where you don't have to think about it. You know, yep. that a hundred thousand dollar loans about this a month, a $50,000 yep. loans about this a month. Yeah. I always tell people like you may have to analyze a hundred properties in your market before you feel comfortable, like knowing that market really well and like knowing what pri- properties like the, the cost of these things are going to be. Cause like, it takes practice. People expect to like, it watch, just yeah. like Kobe like, Bryant shot a thousand yeah. shots. Like he didn't stop shooting. You yeah. still go out, you make your repetitions and that's yep. why you're the greatest. Yep. Yeah. It's practice, 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 practice. I don't yep. know why people think real estate's any different, but it's not. All right, man. Well, that's awesome. Good stuff. Let's head over to the last segment of the show. It's our famous four. All right. Time for the famous four, the part of the show where we ask the same four questions to every guest every week. So first question, uh, what is your current favorite real estate related book? I'm going to go with what everybody says is Robert Kiyosaki. All right. Rich dad, poor dad, rich dad, poor dad. And maybe I haven't heard a lot of people say the reason why it's so good, but in this, it changes your mind. Your, you look at real estate, you look at business, you look at money one way, you look at debt one way. I grew up, my, we didn't have a ton. And my dad always said, uh, get out of debt as fast as you can get out of debt. So my whole life, it was, I got really good at saving money and I got really good at not getting into debt. And that book, whenever he talks about going into debt, I'm almost, I'm, I don't know, I'm close to a million dollars in debt now, but that money makes it's, it makes yeah. profit. So that's a healthy debt. So seeing that change was huge for me. And then just seeing him talk about what you would have to do, like little subtle things. He said he would go run his neighborhood and look at houses for sale. And I said, okay, if he does that, that's what I need to do. And that's when I was a teenager still. So that's the best business book, I think, or real estate book so far. Very cool. We're a big proponent of mindset. That's why we pointed out every single time. Mindset's the soil. And the knowledge we give is the seed. Having yep. all the knowledge in the world doesn't matter if your soil is not ready to receive that. Okay. On the topic of books, what's one of your favorite business books? The best business book you can get is, I was thinking about this in the car, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It is my Bible. If you can't talk to people, if, I mean, and there's nothing bad about that. I know some people are awkward and there's nothing you can do, but you can always relate to somebody in some way. But if you don't get it around your head that if people don't like you, they're not going to do business with you, period. And if you, and that's all business is, is you're, you're reacting and interacting with people who in a, some weird way, you see the same viewpoints on certain things. And that book tells you exactly how to do it. And it doesn't feel fake or contrived. It really teaches you to actually listen to the other person to, to make it authentic. So yeah, great business book. All right. Any hobbies? Yeah, I've got, I've been doing Spanish now. Uh, my, so my students, a lot of them speak Spanish. I, they, 340 days in a row. I haven't missed that. I like shooting. I like going out with my bow, trying to think of basketball and working All out right. and running. I just ran my second half marathon. I got an hour and 35 minutes for my pace and crushed nice. it. That's awesome. Love it. I don't know about that marathon, but everything else, we might've just become best friends. That's all the stuff <laughs> shooting, that I like to all, do. Dude, come on out Sports. to Tennessee. We have it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I would mind not paying the uh, California state income tax. I mean, there's oh a lot of gosh. Californians that are coming out that way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry how much you have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Brandon and I were just talking about that. We're looking to buy some property out there in Tennessee exactly for that reason. So if you guys know any great commercial brokers or people that are willing to help, we're looking. So send I'm it over. My eyes out for commercial brokers. Thank there you. you. 
All right, last question Brandon? for me. What sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Uh, it's my favorite question because I would like pretend in my head hearing this question when I was pulling up to the bank. It'd be 7.30 in the morning and I would be finishing up the podcast, listening to you guys talk, and y'all would always, I would always wait to hear whatever this person had to say. And I mean, it's nothing gold, but it literally is do not give up. And every time I heard someone say that, like if I was having a rough day, I couldn't find a house. I could like my boss was giving me a hard time. I didn't think that like it was so far out in the future of having real estate. Just know that. I mean, if you don't give up and you chip away at it, even if it's two minutes a day, you can find two minutes a day, no matter what, to to hone your skill in some way, to learn a new vocabulary word, to learn the Burr method, to do anything. Don't give up. You'll hit it one day. So. That's really good, man. Really good stuff. Thanks. Well, well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I think there's a ton of value here, John. You're very good at this in case no one's ever told you that. You should do it more often. For people that want to continue the conversation, how can they find out more about you? I have an Instagram account. I don't even remember the name of it. Let me pull it up. But I, if you want to look at me and try to solve any problems on Instagram, I'll try to post a video of me doing it, like if replacing my window. I'll do a little fast forward and oh, nice. just, yeah, I'll do a little construction stuff. What is my name? John Wooten, J-O-N-W-O-O-T-E-N underscore. You can find me on Instagram there and I post funny videos. I post informative videos, but that's pretty much it. If you ever have any questions, you can reach out to me on the direct messenger piece. I'll, I'll try to help as much as I can in the same way that ever, everybody who I've gotten in touch with has. So I hope I can give back some knowledge. Cool, man. John Wooten, I'm following you. Hey, we even uh, we even chatted via Messenger. I didn't even realize that. I told you, man. I've been uh, yeah. I've been keeping up with you for a while. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. This has been amazing. Appreciate you being here. Go follow thank John you. right now on Instagram. And with that said, David Green, why don't you get a thought? Thank you here? very much. This is David Green. David Brandon. Thank you. It was our pleasure. This is David Green for John Wu Tan Clan and Brandon. Didn't know what was in his DMs. Turner. Sorry. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.